Hey, Three Circle Church, it is so good to be with you guys today. Thank you for joining us for our Sunday broadcast. Wherever you're watching from, we're glad that you're tuning in uh, with us. My name is Jordan Matheson. Obviously, I'm not Pastor Chris, but I am so thankful to be continuing our journey series today. I'm the campus pastor at our Thomasville campus. And if you're new to Three Circle Church, the glorious thing is, is that we are one church, but we are in multiple locations. We have four campuses total, uh, but we also have all of you watching with us online. I had the honor and privilege of uh, being able to serve at the campus as our campus pastor in Thomasville, Alabama, all the way up in Clark County. But I'm thankful today to be joining you as we continue this journey series. All summer, we have been studying various stories uh, and looking at how there are God-designed trips, but there are also a lot of God-designed lessons for these trips as well. And today is going to be no different. Today, we're going to continue this journey series by looking at someone who took multiple journeys while he was on mission. But today, we're going to focus on his first journey as we look at the Apostle Paul. But here's something that I know as we get ready to look at Paul's first journey today. And that is in life, there are often journeys that prepare us for another journey. In life, there are often journeys that prepare us for another journey. This is what we're going to see today as we prepare to look at the first journey of Paul. But this is something that I'm experiencing in my life as well. Uh, my wife and I, my wife and I have been married for three years. And this past May, uh, we got the news that we are now expecting our first child. This past Sunday, we had a gender reveal with our family. It was awesome. We found out we're having a baby boy. But as we're kind of going through this new season, it's really a journey of this pregnancy of what will end up being about nine months before we begin a whole nother journey of welcoming a baby boy into the world. And so we're kind of going through this journey of pregnancy, but we're also knowing that this journey is preparing us for a greater journey as we welcome a child into the world. And so today, as we look at Paul's first journey, we must get an entire picture of what's going on and the team that is at play that is taking part in this first journey. And so to find this journey, we've turned to the book of Acts in chapter 13. It says in verse 1, Now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, this is a picture of really what the early church is. And there's a lot of different things that we could look at. But one thing that you could, could say and know is that God had assembled a diverse leadership team with various backgrounds. God had assembled a diverse leadership team with various backgrounds. Each one of those individuals, they're really different. They all had unique characteristics. If you were to look back at them, uh, Barnabas, who we're going to learn more about in just a moment, Saul as well, but Simeon uh, was called Niger. Uh, basically, it was a description of a guy of a different ethnicity. But then you also had a guy by the name of Manaean, who was a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Now, Herod would be known for uh, killing John the Baptist. And now one of his closest friends, one of Herod's closest friends, 
is now a part of the early church and a major part as he was a prophet and teacher. And so God had assembled a diverse leadership team with various backgrounds. And that's the beauty of the local church is we might not have the same gift set that someone else does, but we all play a role when we come together to serve together as the body of Christ. That's what was happening in the early church, and it's the same thing that should happen today. But as you continue on, what you're going to find is that Paul, or excuse me, Saul and Barnabas are preparing for their first journey. But in order to get an entire picture of how special this journey is going to be, we must first look at the origins of Saul and Barnabas. So in order to get an entire picture of the journey of Saul and Barnabas, we must get to know them a little bit more. And so you can look at various places in scripture where you find out a little bit about these guys. They're in the book of Acts. So first we're going to look at Barnabas. In Acts chapter 4, verses 36 through 37, it says, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So we don't know a whole lot about him. We know he was from Cyprus. But what you see in this one instance that we're looking at is that, for one, he was a man of encouragement. His original name was Joseph, but the apostles named him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. So he's an encourager. But the second thing is, He's a guy who has the gift of generosity. He had a field and he sold the field, which was very valuable in that time. And he was willing to take all of the money that he had from this field and lay it at the apostles' feet for no other purpose than to see the kingdom continue to grow. So Paul, or excuse me, Barnabas was a man known for encouragement and generosity. Barnabas was a man who was known for his encouragement and generosity. But now let's flip the picture and let's look at Saul, who's a part of this journey as well. We get introduced to Saul in Acts chapter 8. It says in verses 1 through 3, And Saul approved of his execution. Now this was the execution of Stephen, who would be the first martyr of the church, and Paul signed off on it. Paul was okay with it. Paul, or excuse me, Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made a great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So on one hand, you have Barnabas, known for his encouragement, known for his generosity, and now we have Saul. Saul is signing off on the execution of Stephen, and he is ravaging, as Scripture would describe, the local church, persecuting, arresting people, going house by house, taking men and women. 
And so while we're introduced to Barnabas and he is known for his encouragement and generosity, Saul was originally known for how he persecuted the early church. Saul was originally known for how he persecuted the early church. Now here's the interesting thing is that many theologians and many people who study the scriptures, what they look at with this story is that many of them would say that the early church was a little bit smaller. And so they would say that some of the people that Saul had arrested in the early church going home from home, some of those people would have been Barnabas's friends, which means that Barnabas knew the people who Saul was attacking. Barnabas would have known the individuals that Saul was having arrested. Now you would have think or thought that that would create some animosity between Saul and Barnabas. You would think that as humans, when someone wrongs us in that way and has someone that we care about, that we love arrested just simply for how they worship and what they believe, you would think that that would create a divide between Saul and Barnabas. But ultimately what we know to happen is Saul on the road to Damascus is radically transformed by the gospel, encounters Christ in an amazing way. And it was such an amazing way that people did not even believe that he had truly been transformed, including the apostles. In Acts chapter 9, verses 26 through 28, it says, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. This is Saul. And they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And so Saul radically transformed, goes to attempt to join the apostles. And they don't even believe that he's been radically changed. It is Barnabas who comes on the scene and says he has encountered the Lord. Not only has he encountered the Lord, he has already been on mission and he has been preaching boldly around the city. And so what we know from this is that the gospel can change anyone. The gospel can change anyone. If you're watching this today and and you think that you're like Saul and you've been completely against the church, completely against all that Christianity has to offer, or maybe that you're just too bad and too far gone for God to move in your life, I want you to know that that is a lie that the enemy wants you to believe. The gospel can radically change anyone. If it can change Saul, who attacked the church, signed off on people being killed in the early church, had the early church members arrested. If the gospel can change him, the gospel can change you. The gospel can change anyone. It doesn't matter what we have done. It doesn't matter the mistakes that we think that we have made. The gospel can change anyone and God can use anyone. We're gonna see in just a moment exactly how the gospel can change anyone and how God can use anyone to build his kingdom.
So now it's time for the journey to begin. So as we're getting ready to begin this first journey of Paul, we're going to pick back up in verse 2 of Acts chapter 13. And this is going back to the church in Antioch as they prepare to send Paul and Saul and Barnabas out. It says in Acts chapter 13 verses 2 through 3, that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, For the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And so, what we see with early churches is several things, but I want I want you to know uh, that when it comes to Saul and Barnabas, uh, the journey of Saul and Barnabas was the culmination of years of discipleship. You see, after Barnabas kind of confirmed the conversion of Saul to the apostles, that was not the end of their relationship and discipleship. That was really just the beginning. Barnabas would take Saul under his wing. Many people would say that if it were not for Barnabas, there would be no Saul and there would be no Paul. And just imagine the impact that would have had on the early church, the impact it would have on our Word of God, as Paul is the author of many uh, of our texts in the Word of God. And so the relationship and the journey of Saul and Barnabas was the culmination of years of discipleship. But if you look at the two verses that we just read, there's a lot of really intricate things about the early church that is important for us to point out. You see, it says that after fasting and praying, that they laid hands on Saul and Barnabas and then sent them off. You see, prayer was not a compliment to the early church. It was a primary practice. Prayer was not a compliment to the early church. It was a primary practice. It was not just something that they did before they ate dinner. It was a part of what and who they were as the early church, as it should be for our lives as well. In other places in Scripture, you see the consistency about how Saul and Barnabas continued this discipline of prayer. It was a part of who they were, and it's a part of who we should be as well. So before they sent them off, before they equipped them, before they started on their journey, the first thing that they did is they spent time in prayer and fasting. But then another thing that we see is that with the early church, this is one of the first examples of what we would know as a sending church. And so this church was not just focused on gathering together. It was also focused on how they sent people out. It wasn't just focused on uh, one single day of the week. It was focused on consistently raising up new leaders and believers in the church to send them out as they are going to do here with Saul and Barnabas. And that is the reality of our walk with Christ. Listen, the the closer that you grow in your walk with Christ, the more mission-minded you're going to become. You cannot separate the spirit of Christ from the spirit of missions. The closer we draw to Jesus, the more mission-minded we become. You can't separate the person of Christ and the mission that we have 
to see believers be made of all tribes, tongues, and nations. You can't separate the two. The closer that you draw to Jesus, the more mission-minded that you're going to become. It's a part of who he was. Jesus prepared for three years of ministry before he was ultimately crucified on the cross. The two greatest commandments that Jesus would affirm is to to love God, simply put, and then to, to love people. And what greater love to show someone than to share the love of Christ with them. And so the more mission-minded we become, the more mission, or excuse me, the closer we draw to Jesus, the more mission-minded we become. The closer we draw to Jesus, the more mission-minded we become. But I know you may be watching this today and, and you're a believer in Christ and, and you go to church and it's consistently a part of who you are, but you don't necessarily feel as if God has called you to missions. Well, here's the reality of it. it is if you are a believer in Christ, God just didn't save you from something. He saved you for something. Your story is now a testament to the work of the gospel in your life. And that story is meant to be shared with others. As believers, we don't come into a relationship with Jesus and just stay there. We come into this relationship and then we are to be raised up and sent out into the community as well. Now, I think the common mistake that we make with missions is to think that you have to travel all over the world to go on mission trips. And that is one form of missions. We're blessed with a ton of great missionaries uh, here at Three Circle Church that's all over the world doing great kingdom work. We're also blessed with great individuals and church planners throughout the United States and the kingdom work that they're doing is just as important. But here's the thing, in your backyard, you have a mission field. In your neighborhood, you have a mission field. It's your workplace. You have a mission field. God has strategically placed you in a time and area where he wants to use you to make an impact to those around you. And so while yes, Saul and Barnabas go on a journey, you can go right down the street to show someone the love of Christ. And you may say, well, Jordan, I just don't think that I'm equipped. I just don't think that that God has prepared me for that. I'm not good enough. I'm not a communicator. Here's the reality of it, is God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. If you're a believer in Christ, God has given you gifts and different things that are meant to be used to glorify him and to build up the kingdom. And so, yeah, you may not be someone who stands on a platform and preaches from the Bible daily because we have some great communicators here. You may be someone, though, who can make an impact in a child's life. You may be someone who, like Barnabas, can sow the, the, uh, the gift of generosity. You may be someone who can serve in a different capacity, and you may be gifted in that area. Hey, can I just be honest with you? I grew up in a small town in Leroy, Alabama. It's about an hour and a half from where I'm at in Fairhope. Very small town, but I am very naturally an introvert. I like to kind of be in my own little bubble. Sundays can be exhausting for me because I have to be someone intentionally that I'm not naturally wired to be. But thankfully, God has equipped me with the ability to even though I'm naturally an introvert, to lean in, to be able to still lead, to still have conversations with people, 
to still be there for people when they're going through tough times. And so he's ultimately equipped me in that area. You see, God doesn't necessarily call the equipped. He equips the called. And so as we continue on, we're jumping into uh, this journey into Acts chapter 13, verses 6 through 12. So now that uh, Saul and Barnabas, they've prayed, they've been sent off by this church. And so now they are beginning this journey. And the first stop that they're going to make is Cyprus. And if you remember back to the passage of Barnabas that we read earlier, what you're going to know is Cyprus is the hometown of Barnabas. In Acts 13, verses 6 through 12, it says, When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bargesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas the magician for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and, and, full of deceit and villainy, will you stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the name of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred. He was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And so with this first stop at the hometown of Barnabas, you have an individual in the proconsul who has the desire to hear the message that Saul and Barnabas are bringing. And Saul and Barnabas don't waste this opportunity. Barnabas doesn't take time to go say hello to friends. They get straight to the point of why they were sent out on this mission. But the interesting thing about it is that Saul, Saul did not necessarily preach a message. This was a conversation. This is a one-on-one -on -one type group setting where they had a conversation about Jesus. And when an individual stepped on the scene and was trying to distract them from this conversation, Saul intervened. Darkness fell on this man. And ultimately, Saul used this opportunity to point this proconsul to Jesus. You see, our mission and message should always be to point people to Jesus. Our mission and message should always be to point people to Jesus. Hey, why do we serve people in a unique way? It's to point people to Jesus. Hey, why do we have conversations with our neighbor about church? Why do we invite them? It's not just to come hang out at a really cool place. It's to point them to Jesus. Our mission and message should always be to point people to Jesus. But the other thing about this first stop that I find interesting is the response of the preconsul. At the end in verse 12, he says that then the preconsul believed when he had saw what had occurred and he was astonished 
at the teaching of the Lord. Now, if you pay attention to that last verse, at the end of verse 12, it says he was astonished by the teaching of the Lord. He knew, that proconsul knew, that what he had experienced and what he had seen and what he had heard, it wasn't the really good message of Barnabas and Paul. It wasn't the really talented works. What he had encountered was the Lord. And in our time today, here is something that I want to be very honest with you, is that my fear is that for many of us, we enjoy listening to specific communicators and love them, but we lose sight of the message that they are communicating. And so the question that we must hold on to today is, are we in love with the communicator or what he's communicating? This proconsul didn't fall in love with Saul and Barnabas and hang out with them and hug them and and just come back to see them time and time and time again. He fell in love with the message, but he knew that that message was from the Lord. And so for us, are we falling in love with a communicator or do we fall in love with what the communicator is communicating? Hey, listen, I mean, I hope that this message speaks to you today and I hope that it stirs your affection for Jesus and I hope it helps you to to love Jesus more and to be made more into his image. But let me make it abundantly clear. I don't want you to desire me over the message of Christ. I'm from a small town in rural Alabama at a campus in Thomasville and I love what I get to do. I love what God has blessed me with but I can't save you. There's nothing about my words that can save you from eternity separated from Christ. Only the redemptive work of the cross and what Jesus did can save you. It's only by what he has done. It's not by anything that I do. Now I'm gonna prepare and I'm gonna study the word and I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna pray that God would use me to point people to him But at the end of the day, I want you to fall in love with Jesus before you ever fall in love with a communicator. So are you falling in love with a communicator or are you following following in love with what he is communicating? So then shortly after that, they begin another journey, uh, continuing on in Acts chapter 13. We're going to jump down to verse 26. Paul and Barnabas are now going to head to Antioch in Pisidia. In verse 26, it says, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent this message of this salvation. For those who lived in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And they found in him no guilt worthy of death. They asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down to the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now witnesses to the people. So that's just a snippet of this entire message that Saul would end up preaching. And so he would speak to them of things that they were familiar with from the Old Testament. He would quote 
Habakkuk in this book. He would quote multiple other places in Scripture, talk about Exodus. He would talk about many things, and then he would point them ultimately to Jesus. But here's the thing, is that for the people that were sitting in here and listening, Paul calls them out and kind of points them to the fact that what happened to Jesus was what was prophesied about all throughout the Old Testament. And it's what they would gather together every Sabbath and hear. And exactly what was prophesied about with Jesus did end up happening, even to the point to where he was laid on the tree and crucified on the cross, and then God raised him three days later. You see, the people had heard what would end up happening, but even when it happened to Jesus, they didn't believe. You see, we cannot simply hear the gospel and be changed. The gospel requires a response. Hey, by listening to this message, by listening to this Sunday service, that's not going to be your salvation. The gospel is not just something that we must hear. It's something that requires a response. And that's what Saul was ultimately pushing the people to. The messages and the words that they had heard. Yes, they had heard and they had been carried out. What had been prophesied about about the coming of the Messiah did take place. And it took place when Jesus was crucified on the cross. And then God raised him from the dead three days later. And so we cannot simply hear the gospel and be changed. The gospel requires a response. But also, you can hear a message without it ever changing your heart. These people gathered weekly. They heard these things over and over and over again. But it never truly changed their life when they heard about Christ. You see, you can gather weekly and, and hear message after message after message. But if you truly don't come to a place where you give your life to Christ, where you repent of your sins and you trust Jesus for salvation, then that message really didn't change you. You can hear a message over and over and it can never change your heart. That's what was happening in the synagogue Saul was preaching in. But thankfully, Saul would go into the synagogue and, and God would do a work and then Saul would go elsewhere and then that synagogue would build up other leaders and they would be sent out and Saul would go into another town and, and go preach in the synagogue and raise up new leaders in that church. He would get beaten up along the way. But Saul continued to carry the message of the gospel forward. And so as we unpack all of this today, what are some of the same thing what are some of the main things that we want you guys to hold on to? The first is this is that God can use diverse people for a common mission. God can use a diverse group of people for a common mission. Various backgrounds, various talents. God can use a variety of people to accomplish a common mission. And that common mission is for the gospel to be known all throughout the world. That common mission is to see people impacted by the message of Jesus. Secondly, the gospel can change anyone. As we looked earlier, Saul was one who persecuted the church, had people jailed and imprisoned, even signed off on the execution of Stephen. But, Saul 
was changed by the gospel. And so we know that the gospel can change anyone. With you watching this right now, I want you to know that the gospel can change you. If you feel unworthy, if you feel like there's no way that God could love you, that God could forgive you of what you have done, I want you to know that you can be forgiven too. That the gospel can change anyone. Thirdly, what we must know is that God will equip you for the mission that he has called you to. If God has saved you from your sins, you're not just saved from something, you're saved for something, and that is to carry the message of the gospel forward and know whatever it is that God has equipped you with and called you to, that God has equipped you for the mission that he has called you to. And then lastly, the question that I will leave you with today is has the gospel changed your heart? Has the gospel truly changed your heart? I'm not asking if you've heard it a lot. I'm not asking if you said a prayer and there's been no fruit of the work of the Spirit in your life. I'm asking if the message of Jesus has changed your heart. Because if there was no change, there was no transformation. Has the gospel changed your heart to fall in love with Jesus and to be more like Jesus every single day?